Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO Radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. Or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family, and that would help us grow. For our first episode, we have Phil joining us, and Phil had a pretty surreal encounter. He actually witnessed two UFOs essentially in combat, with it resulting with one of the crafts actually crashing to Earth. Okay, let's get into it. I want to welcome Phil to the show. Phil, thanks for coming on. Oh, that's no trouble at all. I have a very interesting interesting experience and I think I ought to share it with uh, some people. We were speaking a little bit briefly before this, but I know you had an incredible encounter back in 1980. And if you could, would you mind taking us back to the very beginning of your encounter? Yes, look, I I will. Um, uh, The event did begin in 1980. Um, Look, approximately what we saw was uh, two objects involved in a chase. Um, and in the end, uh, one of those objects ended up crashing into a tree. Um, my brother and I witnessed the the chase uh, leading up to the crash, and another person witnessed the the crash itself. And he um, he actually was the one who reported it to the newspaper at the time. And you could Google, or anybody who wants to, you know interested can Google his version of the events. Um, so what my brother and I saw, well, um. We were, back in February 1980, we were only 10 years old back then, um, and we'd just gone to bed, and I, he called out to me and said, Phil, come and check this out. So I ran into his room to see what had caught his attention. Now, our house was, it was perched on the side of a valley looking up towards the Stirling Township. Um, at the end of the valley, there was a line of trees that sort of formed the skyline, and just above the skyline was a yellow object. This object was sort of hovering around 
with a slight wobble and then it would dart this way and that and then resume its hover. It was not behaving like any ordinary aircraft um, and nor was it making any noise. So we could hear we could hear traffic usually winding its way up the valley and so we knew what the, what the sounds normally sound like from objects or from machinery operating at the end of the valley. And this was not making any noise. It was dead silent. It was a beautiful, clear uh, summer's night. So um, no noise, no wind. Um, and so we watched this object and it seemed to have a purpose. It was, it was, you know, above, well, I'll describe it as where we, we believed it was above somewhere around the Stirling Woodyard doing something. And we watched this for several minutes. And then a second object came down. And the first one was yellow. The second object was a red colour. And the, that one came down and it approached the yellow object. And um, then it reversed up. And then it approached the yellow object again, as if it was trying to prompt a reaction. And it got a reaction. The yellow one took off um, uh, at lightning speed. And the red one was uh, in close pursuit. Um, now, these objects did not behave like any any conventional aircraft. I suppose they were, just to give you some idea on the sort of distances, they, they were probably six, 700, maybe 800 metres from where we were. Um, their apparent size was a little bit larger than Venus and very bright. So they were very um, distinct ob objects in the sky. Um, where was I? Now, the... Um, yeah, so they zoomed around. These these objects zoomed around for for several minutes, like blowflies on steroids, chasing each other. Um, a couple of interesting things happened. Every now and again, the yellow object, the one being chased, would sort of get stuck mid-flight, and it would shake back and forth as if it was sort of caught by um, some invisible force. Then the chase would resume, and these objects would um, accelerate from naught to you know, hundreds if not thousands of kilometres an hour instantaneously and the turns themselves were also instant. So there, there, there appeared to be no inertia. It was, they were, it was like watching ping pong balls bounce off the bat, just um, immediate turns and immediate accelerations. So there's, no, um, there's nothing within the human inventory that even reflects what these things could do. Um, we even had time at some point to run into my parents' bedroom and try to get them to come and watch this event, and they 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 didn't. They told us to go back to bed. They probably thought we were making it up or something along those lines. So we came back and resumed watching the spectacle of these objects chasing each other above the tree line on our horizon. And eventually, um, the yellow object sort of had, had had enough of this and it took off to our right, sort of at, at lightning speed. It was a, almost a blink of an eye um, and disappeared behind the hill, which was sort of to our right. Uh, we looked around for the red object. And we couldn't see the red object either. So we're not sure quite whether it, whether it followed or, or whether the red object simply disappeared. But all up, the, the, the encounter lasted probably around 15 minutes. Um, my brother and I hung around for several minutes longer, probably even an hour longer, hoping that they would return. But um, 
nothing came back and that was the end of the show and I ended up going back to bed. So this is it's not this is sort of not like a movie where the camera follows follows these events um to give you a seamless story that you can understand. It's more like a detective story. So um we didn't know that any there had been a crash or anything like that. The that simply disappeared. But um, two days later, we went down to visit our grandmother. And our grandmother, the first thing she did was pull out um, a clipping from uh, the newspaper. And the newspaper had described um, a, well, what was called a UFO crash in Stirling on the same night and same, approximately the same time being around 9.45, 10 o'clock, on the same night that we'd seen this. So my brother and I, our credibility was restored um, instantly when um, when my grandmother presented this paper and our parents sort of wished they'd got out of bed and um, joined the witness box when, when requested by us. But um, that sort of, I guess, I guess that sort of proved to my brother and I that what we'd seen was something very valid. Now, I'll give you a quick description of Daryl's story, the story that appeared in the paper. Yeah, that would be great if you could do that. So um, Daryl, what he described is he described um, hearing a loud crash um, and running outside to hear, see what had happened. Uh, when he got outside, he, he, he couldn't see anything, but he could hear some loud creaking coming from around the back of his house. So he ran around the back with a flashlight and he could hear this noise coming from the top of the tree and he shone the light in the tree and he saw a yellow, what he described as a speedboat shape or half moon, depending on which paper you read, um, stuck about 40 metres up. It was a very large pine tree and it was stuck in the top branches. And there were some branches that had been torn down and broken, um, and there was damage to the tree. So the dogs that um, the dogs that he has were large dogs, and they were terrified. They ran in the house, and he called the police. But by the time the police had arrived, the craft had disappeared. Um, and so they, the only story that came out was his version plus damage to the tree was the only evidence, and um, that was Daryl's story. Did um, Darren uh, happen to have any um, description of the size of the craft or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. He described it as a yellow speedboat shape approximately eight metres in length and about 30, 30 to 40 metres up in the trees where it was, where it was wedged. Now, it had knocked a branch off, which measured um, around 30 centimetres in diameter. So, And this was all um, the people who investigated this uh, put that all in the report. So... People can read about this if they choose to Google his version of the events. So my brother and I witnessed the crash leading, I mean, witnessed the chase leading up to this crash. Now we actually, you might think that oh, that's a life-changing event, but it, um, you tend to put it in the ghost story and campfire sort of section of your mind. Um, we didn't have a box to put it in, so it was just kind of an interesting, an interesting sort of phenomena. And it wasn't until I guess the um, the release of the internet where we could, where I could actually start to research things. Many, many years later, um, and I decided that I would try and find where Daryl lived and um, perhaps the tree. Um, I knew where I had seen the craft disappear to. 
we saw it disappear. It followed Gould Road to the end um, and then vanished. And so I, I sort of, and because we never saw any events beyond that, I had assumed that the craft had crashed shortly after disappearing from view. Uh, so I sort of made a plot here on the map just north of, you know, where we, where I, where it was last seen from us. And that plus the um, description given by Daryl, he did name the property that he lived on. Um, so my first call was to drive to the location that I expected and look for the name, but there was no name on any gatepost. So I, I couldn't find, I couldn't find his house from the street. So I simply picked the driveway, which best, which was my best guess, basically. And I drove down the driveway and of course, in the stonework was the name of the house and the description and everything matched. So I was able to find the tree and I was able to find the branch, you know, the damage. I could see the damage in the top of the tree. So it, um, it, it made it sort of crystal clear to me that um, what my brother and I had witnessed was a, were physical objects that were beyond any capability of human-made craft and they were in conflict with each other. This was not a um, this was not a, a, a game. It was um, more like uh, shooing away. It was uh, it was as if one object was trying to shoo the other object away. I have I've never heard of a, an instance like this ever in my life. It's um it's actually quite unique. Well, that that's um yeah, and I've, I've spoken to another chap from the Mufon group, and he said the same. Um, now, what I've actually discovered is that it's not so unique. Um, again, since the internet, I've posted my story, and I've also spoken to a number of people, and there's actually I've probably come across maybe half a dozen um, similar cases, and including from people who I know. <laughs> Not the same event, but a separate event, and they don't all they don't all result in crashes, of course. But um, it certainly is very intriguing, and it certainly sort of um, leads you to questioning: Well, what is going on? Because there seems to be two groups here with different agendas, if you want to call it that. But there seems to be conflict because other people have described similar sort of. Um, similar sort of experiences. Do you think these were craft that were piloted by someone or do you think they were kind of a um, bit more of a drone type of operation? Yeah, I, I have considered that um, and my my guess is that they were piloted. Um, the size was certainly large enough for um, a, a number of beings to be in there um, and the interesting sort of phenomena where the when the when the red craft you know, approached the yellow one, it didn't have an automated type, um, you know, I'm going to shoot this thing out of the sky type response. It was it it, it it really tried to prompt a reaction from the yellow one, and so that sort of that suggests uh, an unautomated type process, something where where it's it's um, seeing you know trying to trying to get something to happen, and it's not just I'm gonna, I'm gonna zap this thing and you know get rid of it. So what you're saying is you could actually see there was a bit of a bit of intelligence behind. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. And the way the uh, the Red Craft was approaching and kind of trying to antagonize the um the Yellow Craft. Certainly. Look, they were most definitely intelligently controlled and it appears that they were piloted in this process as well. But that's all. It's speculation, of course, but um, uh, they were definitely intelligently controlled because one was certainly chasing the other and um, there was um, they had very um, high capabilities. One was tailing this other one um, with enormous accuracy. So it was, um, there was nothing random about this. It was the, the process was very, um, very controlled by whatever was, was managing it. Is there any um, airfields or military bases, anything like that around the Stirling area that could perhaps lead any, I guess, insight onto this experience of yours? Look, n- not, not in the immediate area. There was, there's one several kilometres away north of Adelaide. Um, and again, the the military. Uh, well, look, I have never seen military uh, anything directly over Sterling. The only time would be the the Grand Prix when they had the jets fly over Mount Lofty. Is the only military activity I've seen above the hills. Um, but even um, even considering that, the speed of these craft. In fact, I'll give you a description. Um, so there were a couple of landmarks. And of course, at ten years old, we didn't discuss any metrics. But later on, when I, you know, did matric and whatnot, I tried to recalculate some of the accelerations and velocities. And there were a couple of landmarks where I had witnessed that it travelled between, you know, in a very short time. And so the the example that I sort of used was um, it went from a stationary position, accelerated, and travelled about half a kilometre and then immediately reversed all within about half a second. And um, again, I guess I'll, I'll let the people do their own calculations on the accelerations and velocities, but they are in the um, hundreds of Gs and thousands, potentially thousands of kilometres an hour. So um, that's well beyond the capability of, especially in 1980, of, I think, any military uh, craft that I know of. Now I'll mention now that my brother is also he has his pilot's license, and um, we've in fact I used to fly, but I never I never I never got my license. So we both have a, a fair old interest in flying as adults, and um, even at the air shows that we've been to, nothing comes close to what we saw that night. From your, I know you were quite a, a bit of distance away from it, but did you notice that if there was, say, any windows or, or any markings that you may have been able to recognise on the um, on the yellow craft or or even the red craft, or is that something that was just a little bit too far away? Look, yeah, there was there was a dis- we we really couldn't see any detail. Um, we just see an illuminated object, two illuminated objects, approximately the same size. And their you know, their apparent size was like a bit larger than the bright the brightest you'll see Venus. I'd, I'd like to say it was you know a percentage of the moon, perhaps you know twenty percent of the moon or something like that. Um, 
It was that they were very clear, obvious, bright, glowing objects. And another interesting thing that we did notice was Daryl's description of the yellow craft. He didn't describe it as illuminated either. He described it more as a metallic. Well, look, he, it, that was the impression he gave in, in the story. So he, he had to shine the light on the craft to see it. And again, that's an interesting, um, I mean, the, the events had to be, it has to be the same event because, of course, it crashed, I, I mean, it crashed where I expected it to be and there it was. Um, so, you know, again, you, could, you can draw a lot of interesting conclusions or make some assumptions anyway, but it appears that the glow stopped when the craft stopped. Um, so that's another interesting little side story to, to consider. Yeah, definitely. Now, have you noticed, I guess, an increase of activity since you've uh, had this encounter? No, look, this was the only this was the only encounter that my brother and I have ever experienced. So I've not um, I've not seen any other UFOs. Um, I've certainly in the last pro- probably in the last twelve months. Now, this is thirty eight years later. So this this all this happened a long time in 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 the past. But um, I guess. Again, since since I started investigating other people's stories and myself being able to find similar stories that sort of were so closely, uh, which matched the description of mine so closely, I am um, I actually, bec- you know, I became sort of blown away at um, at how this was possible and that this was not just a one-off event. And so I've I've, I've sort of discovered that there are actually many, many events um, of UFOs and they all are quite similar. Well, they don't all, but there are many similar descriptions, particularly in the movement, the lack of um, the lack of inertia, the lack of apparent inertia and how they can accelerate and turn without changing speed. Um, a lot of eyewitnesses describe that sort of movement um, and especially the, uh, the other people who have described chases um, similar to mine uh, have sort of have blown me away because in some of these circumstances I had not described my chase first and when somebody else came out with a story that matched mine I um, I had to listen of course because it was just too similar. Do you think there's there's two two different types of beings going at it? Um, yes, yes I, I do and um, I would have to say there's certainly I mean, this is where we get into the whole realm of speculation. But I would have to say that from what I've read and from what other people have told me about their own experiences is that there are multiple entities with multiple agendas. And my story was consistent with that. Um, And again, I guess the proof lies within numbers of witnesses rather than any one particular um, story. Um, other people have described, well, again, multiple chases, and I have not seen any beings, so I've not seen any, you know, aliens as uh, are described in popular ufology. But there are certainly, you know, there are certainly descriptions of um, aliens out there. Did you notice any type of a, a military presence after the fact of, of this event within Sterling? Um, no, there was no activity beyond that and I, I did say that my brother and I actually stayed up for quite some time after waiting to see if these would return but I'll tell you a story from a woman now I better not give too many details she contacted me and described a very similar chase 
um, with a crash, and it wasn't too far from um, where I lived back then, but it was a different event. And in that situation, she told me that um, the military were involved with the cleanup and that somehow she was connected to this and they were told to um, to be a bit quiet about it. And that's what um, that's what she told me. And I'd better not give too much info because I haven't asked her permission to disclose any of this. Um, but that was one of the stories that certainly um, grabbed my attention because, again, it was very similar to mine and it well did involve military um, military being involved. The other stories that I've come across, which involve chases, have involved have been. Um, I mean, I'll tell you another one. The chap on um, the chap near our holiday house. He's a neighbour at our holiday house. He came to me once, and we were talking ufology, and I hadn't told him my story, um, and he. Um, he volunteered his own, and he had told me that out out one night he had seen two craft chasing one. And again, the, the descriptions were quite similar to my own. There was no crash involved, but again, that's that would that reinforced my own confidence in that what I had seen and my interpretation of what I had seen was correct. That's amazing. It seems to be kind of a little bit of a hot spot around that area. Well, uh, well, I haven't seen anything else, so I um, I um, <laughs> I can't confirm that. <laughs> yes, yes. But look, I let me um, let me give you the details of the the newspaper clipping. Um, well, yeah, that would be great if you could um shine some light on, well, I guess, what the media was kind of saying about the events. Yes. Yeah, so um, so this was all reported in the advertiser, I believe. Um, uh, around the 7th or 8th of February 1980. And so um, if one was to follow it up, you could Google Daryl Brown Sterling UFO crash 1980 and you might be able to find... I mean, I have personally found his story on, on a number of websites um, uh, and and that will confirm... Well, that will confirm the crash and it will tie in with what I've just ta- told your listeners today. Um, and there was, a, there was in, in fact, there were in total four witnesses of this event. Myself, my brother, his chap Daryl, and another another man. Now, I won't identify him because he hasn't given me permission to, but there was all up four of us witnessed the chase. Well, three of us witnessed the chase and one of us witnessed the crash. And, um, and it's, it was assembling all of that information that makes it so um, significant. Look, I'm I'm really interested to touch base with you again on this one, Phil, because it sounds like you're um you're collecting a fair bit of information on it and kind of piecing a few things together. So, oh well, I have actually contacted his family now. Daryl passed away. Um, he passed away just months before I began this investigation, so I wasn't able to find Daryl, which was upsetting. But I found um his brother and his sisters and his some other members of his family and the, and they've all confirmed Daryl's story although they did not witness the event they um they all said that they believed Daryl was telling the truth they just didn't know um what to do with it so that was again and they confirmed a number of other small details which were also quite sort of important in um I guess making I mean yeah confirming how how real the event is because you question you question your own belief system when you recognize that um we are 
probably not alone and that entities are here. So I needed to, for my own personal well-being, I needed to make absolutely sure that my interpretation of what we saw um, was correct. It really would kind of make you question a lot of things that you, you currently know or things that you think are, are right and wrong when um you get kind of this type of experience happening in your life. Yes, and that's certainly been the case in the last 12 months when I sort of dragged this um event out of my memory and began this process of investigation. Um, it's been, it has been a roller coaster ride and especially finding so many other pieces to this jigsaw puzzle. So I've, I guess I'm, I can't call myself a ufologist yet, but um, I have begun, I've begun the process of taking this, um, taking this, this seriously. It's no longer in the campfire um, and ghost story section of my mind. It's been pulled out to the very forefront of uh, something very important that humanity needs to look into, and. Um, I guess through my own experience and my own confirmation, I believe that we need to bring people together who have had similar experiences so that we can work out a bigger picture on what these entities are doing on Earth. I, like I said earlier there, Phil, I'm, I'm super interested to, to see where you, you kind of get with your, your investigations and your contacting of other people and in regards to very similar circumstances. So. Well, Gabe, I will, I, I, my intention is to contact, um, a number of these other people who have, who have briefly told me their own personal stories with these other chases. And, um, and again, also, um, some of Daryl's family have, the original articles in the papers and magazines that Daryl spoke about. Um, and I'd like to see if I could get a copy of those as well. So I'd be quite pleased to to let you know how I go and if I have any luck finding that information. Yeah, definitely. That that would be absolutely fantastic. We can share it on our, uh, our social media outlets, put it on our website and hopefully kind of spread that word out there a little bit for you. And maybe you can touch base with some, I guess, other people who may have witnessed the same event as you, maybe just from a different point of view. Well, that's true as well, because there may be other witnesses who have not come across at this stage. So, yes. Yes. Well, thank you, Kay, for the opportunity to, to discuss it. Be sure to keep us updated on um, any new revelations that you, uh, you do come across. No problem at all. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Phil, for joining me for this episode. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au. Or you can message me on Facebook, and that's facebook.com forward slash Believe UFO Radio. Until next time, stay safe, and you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.